Well, good morning. It is a joy to be with you. Thank you so much for the invitation to come and uh, to worship with you. Uh, my wife is very disappointed that she can't be with me uh, this morning, my wife Jody. Uh, she was with me when we were here back in 2013. Uh, we have a new baby, a puppy. Now, shame on you for thinking anything other than that. But we have a new puppy. And uh, 16 weeks, 17 weeks old today, and so the puppy cannot be in the kennel uh, for an extended period of time. And uh, I came up yesterday and uh, will be here through tomorrow and then on to Buffalo tomorrow night, so she needed to stay home and uh, take care of the baby. So, uh, but uh, she sends her greetings to all of you. I want to say thank you for your ministry as a church. God is using you to help others know the amazing love of Jesus Christ, to help others know that they are offered purpose, hope, and life. Every church has moments of joy and moments of struggle. We're in a time in the life of our culture that at least it feels like we've never been here before. It is not an easy time to represent Christ boldly. Yet, it is the greatest time to represent Christ boldly and to be the church. Sometimes as we struggle with how the culture is receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ, we start to, to look at one another and we begin to try to assign blame for why things aren't the way they used to be. I want you to hear this very clearly. That is nothing but the work of the enemy. It's the oldest play in Satan's playbook. If we can get the followers of Jesus to turn on one another, get them distracted, then we don't have to worry about them accomplishing the mission of offering Jesus to the world. I visit a lot of churches and see a lot of churches with amazing potential. But yet, they're discouraged because they're trying to figure out how to be the church in the year 2017. You are the church. God is at work among you. Your past is rich, but friends, the future is where God is calling you. And the opportunities that you have together to be witnesses of Christ, to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus in this community, in this state, in this world, are beyond imagination. 
So don't get caught living a theology of scarcity. Don't get caught looking to yesterday as your point of focus. But keep your eyes on Jesus and trust him to lead you in the path that he's laid before you. You will be the body of Christ. You will be the church that God is calling you to be and God will use you to change lives. So thank you for your ministry, for your faithfulness. I want to say a word of thank you to your district superintendent, Reverend Dr. Sherry Root is here. I want you to just stand up because some people might not know who you are. Uh, Sherry uh, oversees how many churches? 72 churches in the Cornerstone District, and uh, Sherry is a gift. You know that. Those of you who know her, you know that. Uh, she, she has a passion for Christ. She has a passion for the church, and the Holy Spirit has given her gifts for ministry and leadership. And I'm grateful to call Sherry my sister and my friend, and we've had the joy of working together uh, since I arrived in 2012. She was on the cabinet uh, just a year prior to that, and so she's put up with me um, and helps keep me straight. So Sherry, thank you for who you are. I also want to say thank you to your pastors, uh, pastors Kristen and Bill. Uh, They are followers of Jesus Christ, committed disciples. God has blessed you with their passion and their leadership and their giftedness. I appreciate them as sisters and brothers in Christ, but also appreciate them as friends. Bill is the chair of the uh, Upper New York Committee on Episcopacy, which is a fancy way of saying that's my staff parish relations committee. Um, In some ways, Bill's kind of my boss. (laughs) I probably should have never said that. But Bill has been supportive, and I appreciate both he and Kristen's ministry. So thank you uh, for who you are. I want to take a moment, if if really, if this is all we did, and I said amen, and we went on to the party, it'd be okay. Um, Not that I'm going to do that, but it would be okay if I did that. I want to pray for your pastors, and I want to have you uh, come and lay hands on them. So I'm going to ask if Bill and Kristen would come forward here, and you come Surround them, lay hands on them, and we'll pray. I'm going to get out of the way. Uh, But I invite you to come. Place a hand on the person in front of you, and if you're still in your seat and if you're comfortable, please feel free to just uh, lift a hand uh, towards the front. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, we give you thanks that you are a God who chooses us first. You're a God who loves us first.
and through your grace, through the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives, you give us a desire to choose you back, to love you back, to offer to you our lives. I thank you for every person who's a member of this congregation, every person who participates in the life of this church. You have called each of us to be in ministry and mission. You have, through our faith in Jesus Christ, given each and every one of us at least one gift that is necessary for the work of the body. No gift is greater than another. No role is more important than another in the life of your body. So we celebrate every gift, every task, every calling. And we especially give you thanks for the calling of pastor upon the lives of Bill and Kristen. Thank you for their willingness to say yes to that call, O oh God. I pray and give you thanks for their marriage. I pray that you will continue to grow it, to protect it. I thank you for their family, for their children, for Emily and Katie and Will. Protect them, O oh God. And I pray your anointing, your fresh anointing upon Kristen and Bill. Grow the gifts that you've given them, O oh God. Give them eyes to see what you see, a heart to feel what you feel, a mind to know what you know, that with boldness and courage and faith and trust, they will lead your church that they will be encouraged, that they will not grow faint or weary, but will indeed, like eagles, mount up with wings and fly. So bless these your servants, O oh God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So hurry back to your seat. My time is running out. <laughs> I always tell congregations when I visit and after we have that prayer time that that time does not count in the amount of time you've said I can preach. Uh, but I, I understand we need to be done by one, so we'll be okay. <laughs> There's a movie that I'm not necessarily supporting the lifestyle that was lived within the movie, but it's, it's one of my favorite movies. It's called Pretty Women, Pretty Woman, Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. It's an old movie. Those of you who are teenagers have no idea what I'm talking about. But that movie starts and ends with the same scene. It's the scene of a, a, a gentleman walking across Hollywood Boulevard, or, or Rodeo Drive, shouting, what's your dream? Martin Luther King Jr., most famous speech, I have a dream. 
Well, somewhere along the line, I have two young adult sons, and when they were in high school, we had watched that movie, and so I just started obnoxiously asking them, what's your dream? And then when their friends would come over, just to embarrass them, I would ask their friends, what's your dream? Well, it went from kind of a joke to now it's pretty much the, it's going to come up if my kids bring someone home. About a year and a half ago, there were, Tyler was still in college, and he brought five of his college buddies home for the weekend. And we were sitting in our family room, and I said, I have a question I want to ask you guys. And Tyler, you know, rolled his eyes. He knew what was coming. And I said, what's your dream? And four of them, you know, they gave me their, their whole life plan. You know, their, what their major was in college and what they wanted to focus on and how they wanted to get a job. And I mean, they just, they had a very detailed plan. But one of the guys looked at me and I said, what's your dream? And he said, I just want to be significant. I just want to be significant. It's a pretty good answer. Pretty good dream. I believe God created in each of us the desire to be significant. As a matter of fact, that's what the world counts on, isn't it? That we have that desire to be significant. Because the world on a daily basis basis, really a moment-by-moment basis, tries to tell us how we will indeed fulfill that need to be significant. Wear these kind of clothes. Drive this kind of car. Invest this amount of money. Drink this kind of soda or beer. Wear these kind of sneakers. Every single one of us has a desire to be significant. And the whole of the gospel message comes to shout into your life and my life and our life and the life of the world this amazing truth. In Jesus Christ, you are significant. There is no one who will love you more than Jesus. And and think about the power of that because there's no one who knows you more intimately than Jesus. Not even your spouse. Jesus knows all of who you are, of what you've done, of where you've been, of what you've not done. And yet Jesus shouts into your life, you are the most significant person to me. One of my favorite phrases to share, and I I don't know who I first heard it from, so I can't give them credit, but is the phrase, God loves you. 
and there's nothing you can do about it. I want you to hear that truth this morning because there are people in this sanctuary who have a dream to be significant and you're struggling with how to make that dream a reality. And I want to say to you that your struggle is over. Jesus has provided everything for you that you might be significant. That's what this passage in Isaiah is all about. The prophet is speaking on behalf of God about the significant life that God offers us through Jesus Christ. There's a verse in this passage that you've got to understand before we can go any farther. And it's verse 3, the the second part of verse 3. If you have your Bibles, open up to Isaiah 55 and look at this. Now I'm reading from the New American Standard Version, so it might be a little different than yours. But as long as you're in Isaiah 55, verse 3, we're on the same page. Through the prophet Isaiah, God says, Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Now, David is a major player in the biblical story. And the prophet is saying, speaking for God, saying to you and to me, listen, come to me. I'm making with you the same covenant I made with David. Now, to understand what that covenant is, you've got to go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And you can do that this afternoon. David is wanting to serve God, and he, 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 he decides that he's going to build a cedar house that will be his offering to God, that will give him significance in God's eyes. How many times do we try to gain significance by thinking we can do things to please God or appease God? Well, God came to David and said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to build a house for you. I'm going to pour into your life the foundation upon which you will find significance in the gift and person of Jesus. This is a paraphrase of what the prophet Nathan said to David on behalf of God. David, you shall not make a place for me, but rather I will make a place for you and my people. I will protect you through one that will be a descendant of yours. That one will build a house for me, and the throne of his kingdom will be forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. 
That covenant that God made with David, Isaiah is reminding us, that's the covenant God has made with us. Stop trying to find significance in every other place in your life because God says, I will build a house. I will make a place for you. I will protect you through the one named Jesus. If we in the church could grab hold of the truth that we are already significant in Christ, Boy, would God use us in ways that God is not yet using us. So I want you to know you're already significant. You're already loved unconditionally by God. And there's nothing you can do about that. Yet, Isaiah is speaking for God in calling us to make in reality what is promised. To to live into the significance that we find in Christ to go deeper in that significance. Just as as Jesus says that you are significant, Jesus then says, and therefore I call you to some, some significant work. What's the purpose of the church? That's not a rhetorical question. What's the purpose of the church? To make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Years ago, uh, Will Arn, who's a church consultant, asked that question, what's the purpose of the church? Interviewed a thousand people. 87% of them said the purpose of the church is to take care of the needs of me and my family. Now, the purpose of the church is to do whatever it takes to help those who are already a part of the body of Christ to go deeper in their relationship with God and to do whatever it takes to make certain that at least one more person has a chance to know Jesus. That's the purpose of the church. And so God, who tells us that we are significant, also says to us, I now am inviting you to live into that significance. To go to the deep place. And that means there are some things that that we've got to say yes to, some things that we've got to practice within our lives. And that's what Isaiah is laying out here. And friends, there's nothing I'm going to say that you don't already know or you haven't heard before. But if you're like me, you may know it, you may have heard it, but you're still not living it. And God is once again coming alongside of us, reminding us, you can't do anything to earn my love. You've got that. But if you want to really 
fully experience this significant life that I promise to you, I invite you to this. And the first is in the first couple verses of these chapters, which, by the way, in my Bible starts with a word that is my favorite theological word. And the word is this. Ho. H-O. Ho. My translation says, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Now, if someone yells ho at you, you're going to stop and listen, right? It's like someone yelling, hey. It's like someone yelling, listen up. God, through the prophet, is saying to us, listen up. If you want to live this, this significant life that I offer to you, you must thirst and hunger for the things that are of me. The prophet says, come to the waters if you thirst. And if you have no money, come buy and eat. But then the prophet goes on and says, Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? The prophet makes it very clear that everyone who thirsts, everyone who comes to the waters, everyone who hungers, who comes and eats will be filled as long as they are pursuing the things of God. I'm 53 years old. I've been trying to serve Christ and, and live deeply in this significant life that, that God has called me to for a long time. But friends, I confess that I still thirst and hunger after the wrong things. I still spend too much energy trying to find fulfillment for my spiritual being in things that are not of God. What does it mean to thirst and hunger for the things of God? It means that we can't get enough of this truth. That we're building into our lives on a daily basis a discipline of diving into the Word of God. And I love the upper room devotional, but that's not diving into the Word of God. Part of the work that we do together as the church is to help one another hunger and thirst for the things of God, to grow in our spiritual disciplines, the disciplines of Bible reading and prayer and fasting. Individually and corporately, if this congregation is going to really live the significant life that God has called you to, then you've got to come alongside each other and begin to seriously seek and hunger and thirst for the things of God. Bill mentioned that I went to seminary at Asbury. 
And every time I would go home to Williamsport for a visit, I had to drive through West Virginia. And somewhere in West Virginia, there was a billboard that had a glass of Coke surrounded by water and ice. And the water was dripping from the sides of the glass. Maybe you've seen that kind of billboard. And there was only one word on the billboard. And the word was thirsty with a question mark. I could not go past that billboard and then not all of a sudden have a desire to get a Coke. As a matter of fact, I I began to outsmart the billboard and I realized that if I didn't want to stop, if I wanted to keep going and not lose time, I needed to have a Coke in my hand when I went past that billboard. Are you hungry and thirsty for the things of God above all else? That's what the prophet is inviting us to. That's what the prophet is asking us. Yes, God has already said you're significant, but if you want to live the fullness of that significance, you've got to hunger and thirst for the things of God. And then the prophet says, not only do you have to hunger and thirst for the things of God, but you've got to do it now. You've got to seek and call upon God now. Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. There's got to be an urgency towards this seeking the things of God. There's a story, I don't know if it's true, but it's about a guy who had been raised in the city and he bought a farm and several milk cows. And in the feed store one day, he complained that his best milk cow had gone dry. And the feed owner said, well, aren't you feeding her right? And the guy says, well, I've been feeding what you've been selling me. And the man replied, well, are you milking her every day? And the farmer looked at him and said, just about. If I need six or eight ounces of milk for breakfast, I go out and get it. If I don't need it, I don't get it. I just let her save it up. Now, friends, I don't know if you know anything about milk cows, but you can't let them save up the milk. If they're not milked on a daily basis, what will happen? They'll go dry. If we aren't seeking God with an urgency, which means seeking God now, not tomorrow. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've said, tomorrow I'll get my prayer life started. Tomorrow, I'll increase the amount of time I spend in the Word together. Tomorrow, I'll ask someone to join me in an accountability group. Tomorrow, I'll join a small group that will help me go deeper. Tomorrow, I'll sign up to use the gift that God has given me for the ministry of my church that reaches out into the community around me. Tomorrow, I'll do this. No, the prophet says, seek God now. 
Now remember, God says you are significant. There's nothing you can do about that. But if you want to live into that significance, you've got to hunger and thirst for the things of God. You've got to seek and call upon God now. And then look what begins to happen. And the last thing that we're called to, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As we seek the things of God, as we hunger and thirst for those, as we call upon God now, we then finally have to be willing to put our lives squarely in the center of the values of God. I've said this lately in a couple meetings. If one more person comes up to me and says, Mark, the church needs to catch up to the culture, I'm going to start throwing things. (laughs) Friends, we are not called to follow the values of the world. We are not called to be shaped by the world. We are called to the values of God that we begin to understand when we call upon God now and when we hunger and thirst for the things of God. And then as we're shaped by the values of God, God then uses us to change the world, to shape the culture, to bring those kingdom values into the lives of those around us. I need to quit. But I want to say this. You are significant. If you're doubting that God loves you, knock it off. God loves you immensely. God desires a relationship with you that is intimate. Open your life to that. Stop waiting for a time where you'll have your act together or where maybe God will accept you because you're not doing stupid things anymore. That'll never happen. (laughs) Accept the love that God has for you and start living that life of joy and purpose and significance. But friends, don't also miss out that God calls us to be a partner in that significant life. And that means we have some work that we have to do, some responsibility. Not to earn the significance, but to live it at its fullest. 
What would it look like for you if starting today, you truly hungered and thirsted for the things of God and God alone? What would it look like if you stopped putting off to tomorrow and started to seek God now? And what would it look like if you made a commitment to place the values of God, to place your life in the center of God's values, no one else's? We would be living spiritually significant lives. Let us pray. Holy and loving God, thank you for loving us, calling us, equipping us, inviting us. I pray if there's anyone in this room right now that doubts your love for them, that you will continue to just show them over and over and over again that they are loved by you. That significance and purpose and hope and life is only found in you and it's free. I also pray, oh God, that those of us who know that truth, but yet have not gone deeply into that, that you would give us a desire, a desire to, to go deep into this significant life by following the advice of the prophet. Stir it in us. Help us to help one another. And we'll give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. In the name of Jesus, amen.